And we're glad you're with us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, thank you for your patience. As I think we got everybody a seat in the room. So I think this is probably the largest crowd we've had at Easter. So thanks for joining us. Our theme this weekend is Believe. And if you're here and uh, maybe somebody invited you, church is not your thing, you wouldn't identify as a Christian, uh, we encourage you to open your heart and your mind and make that decision today to believe. We know that at Easter, though, that is primarily those of us who are already Christians celebrating our faith. And so we want to say to all of you who are already believers in Christ to believe again. Because over the last couple of years, a lot has happened in our world. And as problems and struggles continue to mount everywhere you look, it seems that hope has faded. And even people who are people that should be people of a positive perspective and confidence and hope and peace, Christians have kind of knocked back on their heels. And if there's ever a time the world needs us to live as though we know Jesus Christ, our living hope, it's now. And uh, we want you to be confident and have a hope that lasts. And it's one thing to be all excited when the energy is high and the room is full, we have an amazing worship team. It's one thing to feel, yeah, but what about Monday or maybe Friday when it's not so good coming up or beyond that? How do we sustain the hope and the passion for Christ? And uh, we have a word for this Easter. I want you to, to, to kind of... And, oh, that was different. Uh, that word, would you say it? Remember. That word remember is a key to sustaining hope and faith in your life. And I want to talk about the power of remember. And if you have the CLC app, you can follow along with us, and the verses will be in there as well. In the Gospel of Luke, it sets the stage for Easter. There was a wealthy man, a secret follower of Christ, named Joseph of Arimathea. And Jesus' body was, dying on the, was dead on the cross, hanging there at the end of Good Friday, and he got permission to, to take that body and, and bury Jesus' body. Luke 23 says he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever laid. It was the preparation day, which is Friday, and Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Jewish people then and now take that commandment very seriously, that on the Sabbath day, people are to rest and to do no work. It goes back to the story of creation, where God created on six days and rested on the seventh. So Saturday is their seventh day. And so there was no work to be done then, but also now. I was in Israel a few years ago, and hotels in Jerusalem have Sabbath elevators for Jewish people who are in that hotel on Saturday uh, there are elevators. You, you do not have to do the work of pushing a button. You walk on the elevator. It goes to your floor automatically. For those of us who are non-Jewish, we consider Gentiles, there's an elevator for you. You can go ahead and push the buttons. But it's that meticulous not to do any work on the Sabbath. So even though Jesus' body was dead and waited to be embalmed, they had to get the spices, see where his body was, and their plan was to come back on the first day of the week on Sunday. That's where Luke 24, verse 1 picks up. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And let me, let me stop here for a second. Uh, you may be distracted, and there's a lot of people around you and whatnot, so I just want to give you a heads up. There is a great applause line coming, all right? And spoiler alert, and I'll even give you the cue, okay? So just watch me, all right? 
So they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Yeah, I went right past that line Saturday night, so I just thought I'd help you out with that. <laughs> That's the whole reason for our hope. He wasn't there. He's risen. Remember. Say remember. Remember. remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So there we see that call to remember. And then the women responded in Luke 24, verse 8, and they, say the word, remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And the Bible says, first of all, let's just stop there. These women used their memory. They remembered when the angels prompted them, they remembered what Jesus had said that they didn't understand. And many times when somebody says something we don't understand, we just kind of push it aside and gloss over it. doesn't register with us. But you're talking about raising from the dead and dying and all that sort of stuff. That wasn't what they expected. And so when they were called to remember, and then they looked back and, okay, he said that, and now the tomb is empty, these women used their memory to start a chain reaction of faith and hope that eventually would change their world and ours. From these women... The Bible values women and the impact they have just as much as men, and they were the first champions and declarers of the fact that the tomb was empty. Thought. Question. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> How do you use your memory? Side note off the Easter grid here. Do you use it for hope and faith? Do you use it to propel you forward in spite of the odds, or do you use your memory to tether you to the past and stay in frustration or failure or despair or whatever the case might be? And, and then verse 11, it goes on, and it says that uh, these words appeared to them, to the disciples, as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Here are the 12 disciples. Well, now there's 11. There were 12 hand-picked disciples. Judas betrayed Jesus, and by now, in despair, he committed suicide. There are 11 disciples, and they are hiding in this room for fear of the Jews. Understandable, because they were able to kind of put things together and say, whoa, if they just executed Jesus, the one that we follow, we're probably next. They're hiding for fear, and these 11 men said would not believe because the words appeared to them as nonsense. Ladies, you're crazy. You're out of your head. You don't make sense. How many of you have ever said something or done something that did not display a whole lot of faith? In fact, it was kind of like open mouth, insert foot. Would you agree with me? <laughs> Isn't it nice to know that we don't have to be bound to that, that that can be behind us and let go? Because those 11 men who initially, when they heard the good news, they didn't celebrate. When they heard the good news, they thought it was, didn't make sense. But they were able to change that. They were able to let go of what they had said previously. And instead, they became world changers as well. And in the last series we did, just, just finished, 10 of those 11 men died martyrs' deaths because they were so certain in who Jesus is and that he was risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. So the next point is that the power, remember, is laced through the Gospels. It's not just in the Easter narrative. 
Let me just random fire some verses. John 2, 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And they looked at Jesus and they saw his passion. They remembered prophecies. And then they put two, the spiritual two plus two together and got four. In John 2, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. John 12, 16, these things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and they'd done these things to him. John 16, 4, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. God created you with your memory. He wants you to use it in a redemptive fashion, in a confidence-building, faith-building fashion. And over and over, we see that throughout Scripture, that using your, me your memory, looking back, can build great faith. At the same time, in John 20, verse 19, there is a verse and a circumstance I alluded to earlier that could have ruined Easter. John 20, 19, the first part of that verse, it says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Fear, without any redemptive memory, is immobilizing. And unfortunately, when we look across the landscape of our culture today, I believe far too many Christians have been immobilized by fear. And I will admit that why watching the news is something I do less of because I can't change it and it raises my anxiety level until I remember. But fear is not something that is meant to be ours and anxiety and stress. We're meant to have the antidote for that. And, and so as we, as we look forward, the question that we, that we address then is, okay, there are too many people in the church. If there's ever a time the world needs hope, it's now, Yes? This is ever a time the hope needs words of peace and confidence and anticipation. It is now. This is not the time for the church, and I know I'm speaking primarily to believers, to be knocked back on their heels, but far too many Christians have been immobilized either by fear or they've been distracted by my. My agenda, my comfort, my goals, my family, my problems, my dreams, my, con my, my convenience, my stuff, my needs. And we're distracted or we're immobilized. Now more than ever before, we as the church, as followers of Christ, need to celebrate his goodness. And but what, what about, you know, life's going to hit by Monday, or certainly by Friday, next Friday might not be a good Friday, or a week later or whatever. And I don't know, I, I wish I could get the worship team and the band like to live in our garage, you know? <laughs> and you get a little desperate, you just walk out there. Right? Ah, I feel good again. Doesn't work that way. So how, how do we keep that sense of confidence and passion? As Easter fades, when Easter fades, how do we stay as motivated and as confident and as joyful and as dedicated as we are right now today? I would suggest to you that you use your spiritual memory because the world needs a confident, encouraged, and encouraging church. Encouraging church now more than ever. And so as Easter fades, I, I want you to learn how to use your memory. The disciples, the women, had to remember. And so I would encourage you and suggest that that, that is how we stay focused and confident and, and free of anxiety. And I want to step outside of the, the Easter narrative for just a few moments and, and look at uh, a hero that we have in Scripture 
and what he did and remember what he did because what he did is translatable to us. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. His name is David. And he was king at the time. And David uh, went on a military mission and he went to battle. And uh, it was a horrible mistake. How many of you ever made a horrible mistake? And people turned against him while he, while he and the, the army were gone. The enemy came behind them and went through the town and ransacked the town, plundered the town, and took their women and children from them. And it was horrible. In fact, it says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But, say but. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And that's what I would suggest that you remember going forward, is that it is possible for you to encourage yourself in the Lord. There will be times that as you go forward this next week and the weeks and months ahead that you won't be here. You won't have a friend or a loved one or somebody from CLC and your church family to encourage you. And you'll be facing things. Maybe life is embittered against you. And you will be totally discouraged. And it is possible for you, if you remember what David did, to encourage yourself in the Lord. Just turn to your neighbor and say, learn to encourage yourself. (laughs) We often don't do that. We look for encouragement, and we try to find it, but when there is no one to encourage us, it is possible for us to encourage ourselves, not, oh, I'm great and I'm wonderful, no, but to encourage yourself in the Lord. So I'm going to suggest to you five quick things that you can do when you need to be encouraged, when you need to grab the, the, the excitement and the passion and the confidence of Easter and bring it to whatever day that you are. First of all, remember that you're chosen. John 15, verse 16 Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. How many of you are Christians? All right, you made that decision, you chose Christ, but you didn't start that. That transaction first started when the Holy Spirit did a shoulder tap or a soul tap, and you got this sense, I need to accept Jesus, I need to become a Christian. You might have been in a service, you might have been with a friend, you might have been just by yourself, and you prayed a prayer of surrender, and you say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, forgive me my sins, thank you for dying on the cross, all of that. But that was your response to the Holy Spirit stirring you. We know that the Bible says God's not willing for any to perish. Every person has that opportunity to come to Christ, but it's the Holy Spirit who starts that in the first place. And if you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, and before this is over, you feel like, maybe I should, that's not you just coming up with that idea. That's the Holy Spirit prompting you. That is Jesus choosing you, saying, hey, today's your day. So first of all, you were chosen. Now, understand the value of being chosen. And, and I have an analogy that doesn't fit if you're like under 30, but maybe you can follow along. When I was a kid, there were not like sports leagues for every child every month, all year long, anything you wanted, okay? I mean, everything from, when I was a kid, there was Little League for Boys in May and June. And then in the fall, if you were good enough, you could get on the junior high or high school basketball team or football team, and after that, basketball or wrestling or track. But there was not much for the masses. And so we have what, we call, what they call pickup games. How many of you ever played in a pickup game? Okay? Um, all the old people, yeah. Because <laughs> all the younger kids are in, in leagues, right? All right, so here's how a pickup game goes. 
And there's a commercial on with an insurance company. They're having a pickup game on a basketball court, and there's kids playing. Charles Barkley's there, right? All right. So here's how you do it. In a pickup game, you pick two kids that are the captains, all right? And so you got the captains, and all the rest of the kids are standing there. Usually the captains tend to be the better athletes, whatever. And in my neighborhood, we played either kickball uh, or baseball in the cul-de-sac, or we played football in somebody's yard, or if somebody had a basketball goal, like Jeff Malik had a basketball, we'd play basketball. We'd have pickup games. So you got the two captains, and everybody's standing there, and then the captains take turns. I'll take them. I'll take them. I'll take them. I'll take them, right? If you played a pickup game, what are you quietly praying and begging God for, right? I don't want to be picked. You've been there. And, and, and if you're picked first, right? And then, and then don't you die a thousand deaths for the last poor kid? You ever been when the, the captains fight over who gets to take them? Oh, scars for life. I got picked. Just say, I got picked. You know, our daughter was like four years old. It was a Wednesday night. I was having a board meeting in my office at the conference table, and we had kids ministry going on like we do. And in my office, in the door, there's a window that goes long ways in the door. It stops about where the doorknob is, okay? She's about tall enough to peek over the window. And so the meeting was going long, and kids ministry was already done. And so all of a sudden, I look up. I'm at this board meeting, and there's these little eyes peeking in. She was just, is dad in there? Dad's in there. She threw the door open. She ran up, and she jumped up on my lap. Dad, I got this snack bucket. <laughs> now, to those who don't know what a snack bucket is, it was a repurposed, you know the, how ice cream comes in a big gallon tub, the cheap stuff, okay? It was one of those, and whoever got picked to have the snack bucket next week got to bring snacks for the kids in class. <laughs> she was so excited because she got picked to bring the snack bucket. That was a pretty clever teacher. I texted her last night because when the kids were young, I realized I embarrassed them when I'd mentioned them in a sermon. And so we had this thing going that if I mentioned them without their permission, I had to pay them a dollar. And so I texted her last night and I said, by the way, I owe you $4. I, I mentioned the snack bucket last night. <laughs> she said, I love being picked for the snack bucket. So when you're feeling down, discouraged, and worthless and like nobody loves you, you were chosen. Remember that. Remember, second, who he is. Last year, we started a sermon series after Easter and went all the way through the summer in the Gospel of John. This year, we're going to start uh, preaching through the Bible, and by the time the summer's over, you'll be able to explain the Bible to someone, so that's, that's our goal. Uh, but in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus made eight statements of who he is. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Basically, I'm eternal, and I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the doorway to an abundant and eternal life. And as the good shepherd, he restores your soul, the Bible says, soul deep. He makes you lie down in green pastures, leads you beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. He cares about your emotional, mental, physical well-being. He said also, I am the bread of life. You might be living a life and you feel like I should be happier than I am. I should feel more fulfilled than I am. But if you don't have Jesus, your soul will still be empty and hungry and not satisfied till you say yes. He said, I'm the light of the world. And if ever we needed a light in a, a morally, spiritually dark world, it's now. And, and Jesus, likewise, as the light of the world, will, will shed light on our path as the word of God. And he said beyond that, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in that same context, he said, you'll know the truth and tr the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ can break bondages and addictions. That's what our Celebrate Recovery Ministry is all about. 
Jesus Christ as the way shows us how to live, and he's the life, and he qualified and said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Heaven is God's place. He created it. He established the, ent- the entrance requirements, and the entrance is you've got to come through Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with him, heaven isn't a place for good people. Heaven's a perfect place. Heaven is a place for prepared people who have a relationship with him. And he said, I am the true vine. And he, he said he wants us to be grafted into him. And I can relate to that as a kid. My grandpa, he lived with us for the last 12 years of his life till he was 94. He loved to garden, whether it was vegetables or flowers. And dad wasn't retired yet, so he said, he called him Pa. He said, Pa, have at it. So we had a great vegetable garden, and grandpa loved roses. And so he would take me out into the, there were fields and woods around our house at the time. It wasn't all developed yet. And I would dig up a wild rose bush. It's not quite a bush, not quite a tree. They're just kind of these big, wild things. And we'd bring it back home, and then he would trim the stalks and so he'd have like four or five rose stems about that thick coming up from the ground, probably half a dozen. And then he would cut a groove across the end of it. Then he'd get a domestic rose branch that was about to have buds on it and bloom. And he'd cut it in a wedge and he'd stick them in there. And then he'd put wax on that or tar on that and tie it together with a string. And so those branches were grafted in there. And then you'd wait to see if the branches stayed green and eventually bloomed. That meant the sap and the life from the vine had made it into the branches. And they bloomed and they were fruitful. Jesus says, I want that to be like you and me, that it's hard to tell where you leave off and Jesus begins. And the longer we go, the more that's the case. And then uh, finally, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Even if he dies, he will live. And he's talking about our eternal life in heaven. And that's a big, bold claim to make. But Jesus proved by rising from the dead on Easter that he had the rights and privileges and authority to make that claim. So remember your chosen. Remember who he is and remember whose you are. We like to sing that we're no longer a slave to fear. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. I should have told you that was an applause line. <laughs> I mean, can you wrap your head around that? Jesus loved perfectly, lived perfectly, thought perfectly, reacted perfectly, spoke perfectly. How many of you are a long way from that? I know I am. And when he appears, when we see him face to face, boom, the whole trans- the, the transformation process is done. We're going to be like Jesus. Yeah, that's something to celebrate. So remember whose you are, and then remember how far you've come. All right? I won't ask for a show of hands. Most of us play the comparison game. And we play it one of two ways. If we play it and we win, it's because we compare it to people that we think we're way better than, all right? Or if we play it and we lose, we compare it to people that are way ahead of us, and so we're not as good as they are, right? And, and so we're not supposed to do that. Jesus made that clear, because when we do, you know, so you look at your life, remember how far you've come. So I look at my life, when my life began, and so I, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents took me to church, taught me about God. Uh, every night told me they loved me. Last time I saw my dad before he died, last thing he said, love you, Stan, love you, dad. All right? And my mom to this day is still alive. And then they paid for my education, college education. Wow. And, and then uh, married and have a family and it's CLC, a great opportunity. And so maybe I've come that far. And if you compare and, and like to put yourself last, you go, oh, well, you're there, but I'm over here. Well, but let's, let's look. Does that really mean that? 
Because maybe you grew up in a home where they didn't follow Christ, they weren't Christians, didn't pass that faith on to you. Parents weren't real good at saying they loved you, and so you didn't have that to fortify you. And then you had to work for everything you had, and you had loads of obstacles to overcome. So you may have started in the hole, and you're here. Who made more progress, that person or this person? That person. So just stop the comparison game and celebrate the progress you, God has made in and through you and remind yourself, remember Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you, in me, will continue to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And if you've been here a long time, you'll say, you quote that verse all the time. That's because I need that verse. Because I'm very aware of where I'm not. I'm thankful for how far I've come. And what I remind myself is when I realize where I am and where I'm not, I remind myself God's not going to quit on me as long as I don't quit. He's going to continue to bring it to perfection. Would you just tell your neighbor, God doesn't quit? So remember, remember you are chosen, who he is. Remember whose you are. Remember how far you've come. And finally, remember God's track record. And the gospel tells us in John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what I've said. He'll bring to your remembrance Christ's word and the word of God. And so when you are feeling discouraged, when you are feeling like your hope is lacking, your faith is, is, is struggling, remember God's track record in the Bible. And you go back, we're going to do this next week, start off, but you, know, you look back at someone like Noah and we realize, wow, Noah didn't even know what a boat or a ship was. And yet God partnered with a righteous man who was an ordinary guy and did extraordinary things. You look back on someone like Sarah and you realize that, you know what? It is never too late for God to fulfill his promises. You remember David and we, we, we are mindful that there is no giant that can stand in your way. We think of Mary. Remember Mary, when someone finds God's favor, nothing is impossible with God. We look back on Peter and realize that ordinary guys can walk on water with God's help. And we look back on Revelation and we remember that love conquers all. And so, the next time you're longing for Easter, but it's the middle of July, you remember like those ladies did. You remember like those disciples did. And you remember that you are chosen and who he is that chose you and how far you've come and God's not done yet and he's got an amazing track record. Because I say to every Christian, every Christian who is sort of half-hearted or thrown by all the stuff that's happened in our world and it has gone crazy the last two years, Amen. But have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that he has not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible says, but of power and love and a sound mind? Have you forgotten that he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age? Have you forgotten that he is the one that said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, my joy I give to you so that your joy may be made full? Have you forgotten that he's, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? So I, I encourage you to shake off whatever COVID fog you've been living with. I encourage you to shake off anxiety about the financial world and what's going to happen. I encourage you to, to lay aside the global uncertainty and realize that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever, our good shepherd will lead us and will guide us. And he wants us to be grafted into him and live a fruitful life now more than ever before. And that is possible 
as a believer, when we remind ourselves and remember and celebrate that I belong to Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you make that decision, you can leave here today saying, I belong to Jesus, and he makes all the difference in your world.